Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi and welcome to From Page to Practice, Series 5, Episode 24, and today I'm speaking to Miriam Hussein. This is one of the last three episodes of this podcast, so I hope you enjoy. Hi and welcome to From Page to Practice. Today I am talking to Miriam and as per usual, I'm doing the lazy way out here. And so Miriam, could you introduce yourself please? Hello. Um, so thank you, Rebecca, for inviting me to your podcast. So I'm Miriam Hussain. I'm currently a director within a trust in the West Midlands. I've had a range of roles within education, which very much started with Teach First, um, which I sort of did when I was 18 as an intern during university, then brand manager, and then eventually did the programme. Um, and then within education, I've been an assistant head, chair of governors, lead practitioner and head of year. I think titles for me don't really represent anything what I think is really important is being able to give back to the communities I serve. And what I mean by that is that I've worked in some really challenging schools within the West Midlands, and I'm really passionate about closing that attainment gap, developing staff, but also ensuring that the students that I meet are able to get good outcomes to be able to pursue careers that they deserve. So thank you for having me on here. Uh, No worries. It sounds like you've got a lot of different things that we can kind of delve into and talk about here. So before we move into our main conversation, what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? I think when I sort of first heard it, it very much represented there's a lot of CPD happening on Twitter or outside of Twitter within schools. Um, some of it fantastic, some of it, um, you know, could be better developed. Um, and I think it's being able to take what's good, adapting it to your context. Um, and that's the most important thing to me, rather than feeling kind of overwhelmed with the amount of um, content sent out, being able to apply it in your environment's best. Absolutely, that's great. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So moving into this main section of what we're going to talk about today, I know you've got a couple of, uh, of pieces of literature that you've particularly interested in and kind of can can kickstart our conversation, I think. So what are these things you've brought with you today? Yeah, so very much two pieces of literature. One was the first educational book that I ever bought, um, which is a long time ago now, and it's Headstrong. So it's 11 Lessons of Leadership by Dame Sally Coates. And the other is a bit more recent piece of literature by Professor Rob Coe, um, who is just wonderful. Um, And he did a piece of work called School Environment and Leadership, Their Evidence Review. So it's very much looking at leadership, but also it being research-informed and what it looks like 
in practicality. So within schools, what does this piece of research mean? Um, how does this piece of research move school for, move schools forward? And I think that's really important because some research is quite ethereal. It sounds quite magical when you read it, you know, particularly when it comes to curriculum or teaching and learning. But then the actual practicality of it may not match with the context you're in um so particularly with 11 lessons of leadership that was something that as a classroom teacher as a middle leader as a senior leader has really impacted kind of my own leadership as well great so do you want to start with that why you know what's what's the the standout part of that book to you why are we talking about it today yeah, absolutely. So the, the reason why I think it's so useful and quite powerful, particularly with, um, you know, teachers or practitioners within um, kind of challenging contexts and ch- challenging, challenging obstacles is that Dame Sally Coates has kind of 40 years of working in challenging schools and a decade in leading some of the um, kind of toughest schools in London. And she talks about those obstacles in a great amount of deal. And it's, the reality of what failing schools will look like and how to turn them around, quite often we'll see, and we would have just seen, particularly with the league tables that have just been released, some of those schools that are on there, particularly the top um, 20, serve some of the most challenging areas within the UK. And it's about, yeah, that's all great to have that title, but what is that granular day-to-day detail that ensures that school is you know, achieving those outcomes? Like, How is that done? And it's really fascinating to see. So is there a, a standout part of that for you or a bit that you've gone, right, yeah, this this I'm gonna take this I'm gonna take on and, and apply in my practice or a particular favourite part? Yeah, um so there's eleven lessons within it. I'm not gonna go through each one, but there's two <laughs> that really stick out. Um and the first one is um leading from the front now that's quite a term and you'll hear lots of terms in education that people will just say um a term that you'll hear a lot is like behavior as curriculum right um and you know tom bennett has spoken a lot about that in terms of um on his on his twitter but also in his book running the room but people don't understand what that means sometimes when they say it so for example if we are trying to create an innate set of behaviors we need to define what those behaviours are. We need to actually say, this is what this looks like. This is what it means. This is what it then means for our staff, parents, and then students. And we will hear the same term, for example, lead from the front. You'll hear that a lot in education. And what Dame Sally Coates talks about is that how she adapted this to the context of the school. So, for example, leading from the front within a challenging environment looks like real visibility everywhere that the head teacher themselves, not just the classroom teacher or SLT, but the head teachers having to be physically visible, which might look different in a less challenging school, which again might look uh, less different in a, in a private school. And she kind of talks about it from adapting leading from the front in the context of a school that's in crisis. And it, and how that then applied to me is that it made me reflect on, you know, just like we have these terms of behaviours, curriculum and leading from the front, that essentially schools are built on processes and systems. That's what they're built on. And if a process or system is not working, then how can that be amended and adapted? And that also looks at not only behaviour policy, it looks at visibility from the leadership. It's also looking at the delivery of of teaching and learning. And to go into like specific, 
you know, granular detail here, I touched on behavior as curriculum. And an example, and a strand of that, for, for example, would be, um, and Sam Strickland talks about this in his book, and um, it's, yeah, so education exposed in pursuit of the Halicon dream. And he's spoken about it in leading a school in a time of uncertainty. And like I mentioned, Tom Bennett has spoken about this as well, is that if we are saying a school value is respect, what does that then look like? What does that look like in the corridors? What does that look like in the classrooms? What does that look like in conversation? And likewise, when um, James Sally uh, Coates is talking about leading from the front, what does that mean? And that's going to be different in each context. But then she then goes on to define it within the book in terms of these are the set of behaviours. This is what I expect from staff. This is what I expect from students. And this is what I did. And what's really effective is that if you're a practitioner from the classroom, you're thinking, OK, what does this look like when I'm on my threshold welcoming the students? If you're a middle leader, you're thinking, oh, what does this look like for my team in the English department? And then if you're a senior leader, you're thinking, what does this look like for my school? And then how do I front face that with the parents? So it's kind of like all those different facets and, and different roles within the schools that are so important and how do they blend together? Oh, that's a great other, reading of the oh sorry I was no, just no. going to say that's that's a great reading of the of the chapter and is there is there all something that you've done in your practice that you can think of that, you, that you've you've done and thought yeah that that's you know I'm going to start that again is there something you've done <laughs> in your practice where you've thought uh, that's you know leading from the front this this is an application of that I think definitely the element of visibility I think and whether you're a classroom teacher, whether you're a middle leader, but, you know, more so if you're a senior leader, you need to be visible. You know, your staff need to feel supported. The children need to see you. They need to, you know, things as granular as that morning duty and saying good morning by their name, not just saying good morning, you know, and also their exit ticket out of the building. You know, how's your day been? Those interactions. And when I talk about how's your day been, that interaction of them knowing an adult cares about their day, cares about their response, but also modelling in, in really kind of polite, formal English, because, again, these children are coming from really challenging backgrounds of, of how that dialogue needs to happen. And so, you know, that's one example. And then popping into lessons, not just, you know, as a lesson drop-in, but just seeing the children, seeing the staff, how are they feeling, um, you know, just getting a temperature check of the building and, and your and your, and your your team as well. And that's something that I've always taken, like even as a classroom teacher, always being on transition. You know, if, if I know students are coming up at the top of the staircase, it's going to be good practice to just stand there and ensure that they go to their lessons as smoothly as possible. And that ensures no learning time is lost, that maximises that learning time there um which i think is really powerful yeah that's some great examples there of using that leading from the front but on all levels you know it's easy to hear a term like leading from the front and go oh, leading that's leadership right that's my, maybe not me because i do x y and z so to actually go no we all lead different levels whether it's leading students or a team or, or whatever is a really important example i think so did you say there's a second chapter there that you uh, you wanted to discuss yeah there is and i think um just touching on on the first point when you are modeling to staff what should be done they will model that too because it's good practice um the students then will expect that and then the students will get to a point where they already have their answers in hand they know they're going that you're going to say good morning so their response is going to be, I'm well, thank you, or I'm not well, thank you. You know, whatever that conversation will be, and then you can have the relevant follow-up. So it's a really wonderful touch point as well. Absolutely. Um, 
The second lesson is talking about high expectations. So I've sort of touched on earlier about kind of definitions within education and people having different uh, definitions of what high expectations are. And a really good example of this is that I have never come across a school that hasn't said I I don't have high expectations. All schools on their vision board and their websites will say um, we have high expectations, right? But if they don't define what those terms are, they look really different. So if they say, okay, our expectations are all students are to be fully equipped. But if I'm, uh, for example, a form tutor, I might think fully equipped and having high expectations is a pen. If I'm a middle leader, again, just plucking out examples here, I might think, right, a pen, pencil, ruler. And then another member of the staff might think, well, I think pen, pencil, ruler and a notebook, right? So all those staff members in their mind think they have high expectations. But what high expectations looks like in the classroom is very different. And that's why it's really important to codify what high expectations are and what that means. Um, so I'm just going to, I know I recognise this podcast, but I've got the book in front of you. Yeah, no, fine. Um, but the few things that it goes on to say was the focus on, you know, having high and challenging stands, uh, standards of learning, um, you know, understanding precisely the ability level of their students, you know, assessing throughout the lesson, but defining what that looks like. So you're not just saying these arbitrary kind of terms. You're actually saying this is what assessment looks like in the lesson through, the, you know, the form of a mastery quiz, through the form of a ch- uh, check for understanding, through the form of intentional monitoring, you know, and if you even want to go even more granular, if you're having a do now activity and you want to go through intentional monitoring you might say well the first lap that I'm going to do this is in teach like a champion here but the first lap um, walk that I'm going to do in the classroom is just going to look at the date and title and presentation but the second lap that I'm going to do is going to look at that conceptual understanding of the work now I'm not sat here sort of saying well everything needs to be as prescriptive but I'm just giving that as an example if you talk about high expectations what does that realistically look like one in your school Uh, as a whole school and the corridors in the transitions at lunchtime at break time but then what does it look like within the classrooms what do you expect as a minimum for our students to know what high expectations to feel like but also our staff as well and then communicating that to, to parents um and the other thing that kind of stood out with that so you kind of have all that going on within school but then you also have to think staff have to constantly reinforce that if you know, you cannot have your staff that f- slightly believe that or, you know, you need to be able to have your stock phrases where you're talking about high expectations and mean it. But the, And because you've defined those terms in kind of granular detail and gone through that in such detail, you're then able to kind of share that with all the relevant stakeholders in a really sort of strong um, example. Um, and that's also how you transform culture as well. Like this isn't... Um, it happens overnight, it happens over a period of time, you build up to what, you know, that real kind of transformative culture is. But ultimately, in the context of challenging schools, that's what they need. More than anything, they need that consistency, they need that clarity, and they need to know what high expectations look like. Absolutely. And that that consistency in culture, I think, comes in two different ways, doesn't it? Because we all know of the the kind of high-profile, high newer schools that have come in and done that from day one. And that's been the way they have established themselves. And that's one thing. And then there's schools that are trying to kind of turn around and bring those things in. And I think that's a totally different 
challenge, isn't it? Where a school says, right, we need to 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 do this, um, and maybe there's long established staff there who haven't been used to that. Have you got any experience of or thoughts about you know staff buy in on that kind of thing when you're in a school that hasn't had these policies and processes, and and now we're going for right, we're all need to sing from this same hymn sheet, and that that can be quite a challenge, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of we see a number of free schools um, that only have year seven. And it's very, you know, kind of clear, hard work to implement. OK, these are policies, these are practices. But because you're starting off so small, you, you have the ability and the autonomy as well to be able to say, well, this is the behaviour policy. This is our um rewards policy this is our teaching and learning well if you've only got 20 staff as a school body absolutely that's very easy to implement and monitor but if you're in a very much big uh, bigger school and this is what's so great about the book in the sense of the school is a, a um it isn't starting from scratch it's talking about a head coming in and having to deal with current staff new staff staff that are going to leave you know which are which are all things that are tied in within you know unfortunately inner city schools schools within crises and it's really important to have your short medium and long-term goal and I mean that from a senior leader's perspective what is going to be your key element in terms of um year one goal year two if your first year is to just focus on behavior because without behavior you cannot move forward and sam strickland talks this about a lot it's like you're building on sand if you don't have that um that's what you're going to go for although you can see that there's issues with regards to curriculum you know that if the behavior is cemented you can therefore build upon that in year two year three and all that work that will happen in the background. But in terms of if it's, for example, day one in September, you are going to de- deal with the behaviour issue. So sweating the small stuff here, like uniform, like equipment, like staff expectations as well, because it applies to staff, you know, in some some areas of accountability that is going to, if, if you've been in a culture where it's okay to come in 8.30 every day, but your contractual hours are at eight o'clock, having those conversations is going to be really difficult because you're dealing with the historic element of that as well. And you're going to kind of have a pinch point within within your leadership um, journey in that point of, well, people are going to resist that type of change and how you bring them around. And the bringing them around is really important. And it can happen things such as the rewards you give to staff, because you can't just rely on a goodwill. There's so much martyrdom in teaching. You need to be able to actually give back and for them to be able to see what happens. That's things like, you know, for example, if they're doing a parents' evening, where possible on the timetable, could you alleviate for them to leave work early? Where can you allow that to happen? You know, it isn't just pizza parties and, you know, bringing cake to meetings. It's also the little things of, like, uh, staff recognition, but also a big part of that is development of staff. You know, what um, I myself have done, MPQML, MPQSL, um, and a number of other personal development programs. Where are we doing that for our staff? You know, where's the link? How can we develop these individuals? How can we make them better at their jobs? You know, and people want that, you know, in education. That's what we want to be better practitioner, practitioners. I think the also the, the other element is the why, it's the vision. Ultimately, that's going to be your biggest buy-in. And the why here is to ensure that our students have the outcomes they need to be able to go on and fulfil uh, the career the career of choice that they deserve. And ultimately, in education, why anyone becomes a teacher is to be able to provide that for any child. 
and it's how you implement that vision, how much you revisit that vision. And, and this is why, you know, I spoke about earlier about defining what respect is. That, that all comes back to kind of the vision, the, um, the mission of the school. And if you define that and people buy into that, that whole process is going to be uh, a lot easier. And also making it really clear what this looks like long term as well, that it might feel like this now, but this is what the end goal is. This is how we build. I'm glad you touched on that because I was just about to, I was thinking, you know, just about to say to you, you know, what do you do in the situations where there are staff who who have been long established in somewhere uh, and don't see, maybe don't see the point in what's changing or can't quite buy into it for one reason or another. And I think what you said there about making sure everyone understands the why is so important and both on staff and pupil level knowing we're doing this particular thing because it will lead to this, which will lead to this, and this is why we do it. Um, I think that's that's a really important point to have touched on. Yeah, and I, I think it's also thinking about, and I did a stint at PwC, and it was really fascinating how the corporate world operates in terms of education, particularly when it comes to retention, recruitment, which we're you know currently in a crisis of now. We need to really think about how we can support teachers and provide them an offer that another school or trust can't. Um, you know, whether it's thinking about middle leadership pathways, senior leadership pathways, coaching, mentoring, um, you know, development, support as well, because not everyone uh, wants to progress, which is absolutely fine. It's, they might just want to be a better teacher. And I think that's a really important thing. And I think ultimately as leaders whether it's classroom level middle leadership level senior leadership level we need to think about how we are able to recruit and motivate and develop excellent teachers ultimately absolutely you know and as a senior leader it's like whole school but in the classroom it's about you know going into that detail like questioning or check for understanding or that mastery quiz so this probably leads us quite well into the, the second piece of literature you wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what are the key points of that that you wanted to bring with you today? Yeah, I, I think as well, just touching on that if you are a senior leader, your job is to create the culture and the systems which allow teachers to focus on the classroom craft. Um, and, that, and that's taken from obviously the first piece of literature that I spoke about, but it leads in nicely to the second one because it very much explores the environment that that takes place in. And Professor Robert Kyle goes into a significant amount of research within that, looking at teachers, head teachers, um, and and school, and also teacher growth. And and I'm paraphrasing here as well because it's there's so much research within it. But the right environments for our teachers to flourish matter. And not only for our teachers, for our senior leaders as well. Often, if there's a deficit of whether be it research, be it, uh, and by research, I don't necessarily, I'm not talking about cognitive science here. I'm talking about um, professional development that is informed by research that, you know, staff are craving for. That's why you'll find other people will leave teaching or move on elsewhere or trying to find um, a place that aligns with their morals and values. And that's what you will see people doing now within education is really looking for places that not only align with their own moral and values, but also reflect what they want out of education as well. Um, and I think a significant amount, why we're seeing such a sort of change within leadership picture now um, is because people are much more likely to move schools. People are much more likely to 
speak more candidly about what they want. But it also does come back to well-being and, and staff being able, you know, and the leadership team being able to take care of their staff and vice versa and classroom teachers feeling comfortable enough to be able to feel their cup is full alongside their job, also their personal life as well. Absolutely. That's a really good observation. You know, in the, the the feeling that you are valued somewhere, you're supported, you've got the challenge that you want, you're developing how you want. Um, and, and you're right that so many places now are able to offer different things to each other. I think gone are the days where working in a school was working in a school. Now, now with all the trust level kind of things, the things like Teach First and that kind of thing, the bigger networks, the bigger opportunities, it does give chances for or, oh, well, actually going to this trust means that I can get involved with X, Y, and Z. Or I know trust isn't for me. I want to stay in a, a single school, a smaller school, because this works for me. There's a lot more choice out there now, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, well-being is just so, so important. And Kat Howard wrote a book um, about um, well-being, which I've reread so many times. And each time I read it, I, I just think you know, in corporate places, they, for example, have chairs that are suited to them working or, you know, they're able to, (laughs) they're able to take toil back the next day or, you know, just little things like that. And if education is competing with organisations like that, how are we then supporting our teachers to make it look like an attractive job to come into? And we, we really have to think, strategically about that moving forwards as well because we cannot just be we cannot just have this consistent narrative of well it's just the way it is and a lot of that you know depends on funding um which I absolutely understand like our hands and our hands are tied when it comes to funding um and what the government is able to provide for us but I think when you are a school your culture is something that you have a lot of autonomy of in terms of behavior looks like in terms of curriculum uh, you know teaching learning assessment etc so in terms of those areas what are schools doing in terms to be able to improve them support them develop staff um, and all those sorts of things yeah, I think it's interesting. I've sort of seen some more conversations on social media lately of people saying, oh, I've got a trainee teacher or I am a trainee teacher or I'm an early careers teacher and this, that and the other. And they are identifying elements of workload that for years and years now have been like, that's just how it is. And they're saying, no, this isn't okay. Mm. You know, this isn't okay. This, this doesn't need to be the way it is. And people stepping back and going, yeah, they're right, actually. You know, we, we don't have to do it all this. We've accepted it's like this for so long. But actually, where's that got us? That's got us to the point where loads of people are leaving. So, you know, people recognizing now that it doesn't have to be that way and thinking about what we can do to make it better rather than, you know, the, it's how it's always been. Oh, no, that's how it is in your first year. Yeah, you have to hate your first year because that's just how it is. And it's not it's not okay for it to, to be that way, is it? And it's probably not sustainable much longer by the sounds of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would say, so I, my, and this might be controversial, but my first year of teaching, I adored. I absolutely loved. And very quickly, I got promoted. I became a head of year. I was head of year seven and eight. And I was also year six transition lead. But the reason I was able to thrive, the reason that I was able to enjoy it so much is because of how supported I was. I had phenomenal mentors. I had 
a number of examples of really good best bets, good practice. It was a phenomenal trust and organization, which, you know, I still now respect so much. That needs to be replicated for so many others. You know, thinking about workload, there was an initiative at that time within that school where the head teacher would cover your lessons if you won a raffle. So you got that day off to do something that you wanted to do. And, you know, my experience of education then was that, well, that means everywhere does that. And then so when I did make the decision to then leave as a result of a, a promotion and kind of my first experience of, of senior leadership, that isn't the case everywhere. It's very, very different. It, you know, what what well-being and support looks like is very different. But where we have control over it, we need to be able to do that. And and again, this all comes back to context, like where can middle leaders support, where can senior leaders support, where can classroom teachers be able to do that? And I think what I will say with classroom teachers, quite often, they are the bread and butter of the school. Like they are so, so, so important. There is no one more important in terms of what that day-to-day teaching looks like, you know, from that first thing in the morning in form time, whether you do form in the morning time, in the, in the morning time, moving on to your lessons. You know, some of them are teaching five, six lessons a day. Some of them are only teaching, what, half an hour, lunch, 15-minute break, et cetera, et cetera. Their feedback is really valuable. Like, it's so valuable. So, for example, if they say, actually, rather than doing parents' evening on a Monday, it would be so powerful if it was on the Thursday. Super small feedback would help them a lot significantly because it's closer to the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. That feedback is really powerful. And being able to have those conversations with either, you know, I'm not saying go straight to the head teacher and have that conversation, but what I am saying, be that to your line manager. Your line manager then picks that up. You know, things like that are really important. That feedback is so important. And, and you know, t- teachers need to have those conversations with those leaders because if, if elsewhere is doing it better, what can we do to be able to ensure that that's more consistent within education itself? Absolutely. Those conditions that allow each teacher to thrive in whatever way that kind of would mean for them and to feel that they've got that autonomy, but also to feel like they're able to speak out and give that feedback. And there are so many situations where teachers don't feel like they can do that, 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 you know, the schools that are, that are open to those kinds of things are clearly, you know, the ones that we need to be, uh, to be emulating across the system, you'd hope. But Yeah, absolutely. I think that, if it's a case where you are not in a place where you're able to have those conversations, then there's nothing wrong with moving schools. You know, there's nothing, you know, people always think, you know, I'm too nervous or can I make that right, um, right uh, move, etc. Like the right role is out there. Um, you know, in, in the book, 11 Lessons of Leadership, it uses the metaphor of a bus and being in the right seat um, in, on the bus. And, and that's all it is. You know, sometimes you will still take valuable lessons from that setting and that trust. But ultimately, if you're not aligned with your moral purpose and what you want out of education, then there's other places that will. There's 15, 20, 30 other places that will. Yeah, I think it's quite uh, quite often teachers feel like, oh, I can't move on because... I've not been here long enough or I can't move on because I need to finish this set of year 11 off or I can't I can't leave because you know so and so has been here 20 years you know why would I leave after a short amount of time and I think it has more of a more of a stigma in education moving around schools than it does to move around positions or um, companies out in in the rest of the the world it's it's seen differently isn't it and I think that's a shame I think things are changing more now um but I think that certainly it does come into play 
Yeah, it does. And I and I think as well, I think my experience of moving is that when you do start a new school or trust or whatever level, whether it's senior leadership or trust level, whatever it is, um, you kind of building up your credibility again. And mm-hmm. it's that nervousness of, well, can I do here what I've done elsewhere? And you absolutely can't. It's all about context. You know, I, I became a chair of governors very young, um, not because just just because of the situation the school was in. And I was I happened to be vice chair at the time, but I did so much research. I went on every you know developmental course um, that there was possible. I did um, so much reading behind that. I was in that primary school a significant amount of time as well with those senior leaders. I was part of the appointment process for the head teacher as well. You know all of those things you can pick up, you can learn, um, and that's what's so beautiful about education. That regardless of what your starting point is, you're able to learn, you're able to improve, and if there's a deficit in your skill set where can you learn or who can you learn from you know if you want to be a senior leader and this is I mean going off on a tangent here but if your aspiration is to be an assistant head or a deputy head or whatever it might be can you speak to the current assistant head or deputy head within your setting to see what that looks like can you shadow them if you can't do it there can you reach reach out to someone on twitter uh, and and have that I know it's called x um, but I am calling it Twitter. Oh, yeah, no one calls it that, do they? <laughs> no one at all. <laughs> you known as Twitter, but now called yeah. um, you know, Is there someone you can reach out and and, and uh, be able to have a coach or mentor? Uh, you know, so there's always someone available. And there's so many organisations, you know, Lit Drive, Research Ed, Women Ed, phenomenal organisations that can, uh, you know, it, it's one DM away. That's the thing with those organisations that for for people who feel like they might be kind of alone in their school, I know I certainly did for quite some time where I felt like there was no one who was really on the same wavelength of the the things I was interested in. These kind of organisations give you somewhere else to reach out to, don't they? Something else to get involved with. So you mentioned a whole host of of organisations there and we hear about research ed like all of the time. Lit Drive, we've not discussed though. So could you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so uh, I'm the regional lead for the West Midlands for Lit Tribe, and it's an organisation that specifically focuses on personal development, subject specific personal development, subject specific professional development for English teachers, um, and it also is nationally uh, accredited as well. And it, it has a plethora of not only resources, but it really looks on looks at well being for teachers. So what I mean by that is that on the um, website, on the account, um, on your membership itself, you have a plethora of resources. Um, So, for example, schemes of work, for example, uh, booklets on, um, you know, I just did one now, which was released, which is on uh, an inspector calls, but a number of others, a whole host of resources, because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. There are a number of practitioners out there that have created phenomenal resources, phenomenal resources um, for teachers to be able to use for teachers to be able to amend, for teachers to be able to adapt. Um, In addition to that, they also have CPD. So what that looks like is... um CPD on um, online, but also in terms of the national conference. We had the national conference on the 8th, 8th of July 2023 this year, which was massively successful, which had a plethora of speakers, again, focusing on subject pedagogy there, which was like amazing to see so many English teachers collaborating together, working together to reduce uh, workload 
increase well-being and have a real kind of emphasis on um, high quality professional development alongside having a real focus on well-being uh, as well and you know Kat Howard who is the founder of Lit Drive has really done so much for education in that way because so many teachers now are able to plan in a much more quicker more effective and more efficient way um, you know as a result of that organization. I think it's amazing how something so big can grow from something, you know, initially begun fairly small. It's the same with all of these organisations, isn't it? Often start off as something on social media, a bit of sharing, a bit of discussion, and then it grows and it grows and it grows. And and, and it doesn't feel like it's something too formal. I think often people can feel like if they've been sent to something by their school or signed up for something by their school, this is formal CPD and it's, it's, a, it's a different thing to going along to something like Lit Drive like research ed and and putting yourself forward for that and it I think there's a different feeling to to some of these things yeah and um, what I will say as well is not I only started seeking out organizations like research um, ed and lit drive and women ed and all of those wonderful organizations that are there um, as a result of a deficit in my own learning and development so um I had no idea that these organisations were out there until I made a Twitter account um, and and they came across them and they were able to kind of fill in um, that void that I had currently at that time because I was in a place where I'd completed a number of MPQs. um, I'd done a number of professional development courses. um, You know, I was a mentor and coach myself and and the place I I was in in school, there wasn't that development there that that I needed. So I then, you know, found... Um, and went to uh, the Research Ed National uh, Conference and and I was just amazed that there were so many like-minded practitioners there, likewise with Lit Drive and and also Women Ed as well, um, where you could have these really kind of really high-level conversations and and be so inspired and also feel like you really belong as well and it's just so wonderful. Um, But also what I will say is not every single session is on a on a Saturday like for example a number of sessions on lit drive are recorded or you're able to read a blog post um within your own time it's not necessarily scheduled on a Saturday and likewise there are a number of um women ed events that happen in the evening or on a Sunday um and then things like that you know step up is another network which is growing um they just had their Birmingham event and that was a very small and intimate event um but they do a lot of um, the next event is going to be online, um, which is taking place next year. I believe it's February. Um, so it's not a case of, oh, to go to these events, you have to give up a Saturday. There's lots of different other the times that you can participate but also if you're unable to do those if you're just able to send a message to someone on X, formerly known as Twitter, um, they can get in touch and have a phone call and all those sorts of things so the flexibility with it is is so wonderful yeah I think you've touched on a couple of things there that, that I'm going to come back to so one of them that flexibility I think we we actually have something to thank the pandemic for there in a way uh, not many things we have to thank it for but I think the fact that there's a lot of these things have come online uh, it wasn't necessarily happening before and we we then built in that or oh, how can we engage with this in in other ways because we didn't have the opportunities to be doing these things face to face and I think the uh, the opportunities for the recorded sessions the online sessions the different times have really sprung up a lot more since since then so I think that's a that's a positive to have come out of a of that time 
And then the other thing I was thinking about is it, you touched on belonging. And actually, I think that really goes back to what we were saying about retention of teachers earlier. If you feel like you've got those networks that you belong to, and if that's not in your school, that's not always the end of the world. If you can feel like you've got that sense of belonging in in some of these kind of other places um, instead, and, and that just that belonging really resonated with me as something really quite important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think belonging is in so many different ways, right? It's like how you feel when you're at school, how you feel in your personal life, um, you know, whether you go to like a gym class, like there's so many different facets of where you feel like you belong. And I think sometimes in education, if you have a particular view on, for example, detentions, you know, which sometimes can be really controversial, right? For some people, it's like, no, I firmly believe in restorative practices. Or for others, it's like, well, no, I firmly believe in a strong behaviour policy that includes one warning, then results in a detention, then results in a removal, etc. And there's such a different view. And I think it's about it's not saying that either one is better than the other. I mean, I have my personal views on that, but what it is saying is aligning yourself where you feel like you belong and reflects what you feel um, is is valued. And when I talk about the deficit in my kind of personal development um, during that time, when I went to that first research ed conference, I felt fulfilled and I felt, you know, like I fitted in there and the conversations and thoughts I was having, others were having as well. And if you're feeling like that, I would strongly recommend to go to one of those events because, you know, the, the way you feel and the connections you make after are, ju- are just wonderful. Um, and it is about, you know, belonging in the sense of your school. If it's not right, then I would recommend to, to make that move. And, and likewise, if it's a case of you love your school, but you've got a CPD itch that you want to be able to explore, then being able to pursue that and, and, and really kind of going for it. Um, because everyone in education because everyone at some point has been to some form of school has a viewpoint on it and some someone really strong and you'll see kind of all of those kind of conversations going on and it's about what fits for you and what works for you and um you, you know you being able to comfortable comfortably be able to do that right You've exactly hit the nail on the head with where I was going, actually, with what fits for you, because actually, whilst there are various different types of schools now doing various different types of things and lots of people have very strong opinions about this is right and this is wrong. Actually, as long as they are serving the community that they're in, it's working for them, it's working for their staff, then good on them for everybody doing things how work for them and and as long as we can make those choices to go you know what this isn't for me I need to go somewhere that does things differently it doesn't mean the place that you've chosen to leave is doing it wrong It, it it might there's certain things that obviously lead people to leave that are are problematic but it doesn't mean that that school's doing it wrong it just means that doesn't fit for you and the place you're going might suit you better I think that's a really important thing for people to to acknowledge that that not you know people aren't necessarily doing it wrong that school's not bad for what they've chosen to do but it doesn't fit with you doesn't fit with your values doesn't make you feel comfortable fine you can go elsewhere that's not a problem yeah I mean it's kind of looking at that twofold really you've kind of got individual teacher needs like one person but then if you look at outcomes that will tell a very different story go for a high performing school and if you look at those league tables consistently the top 40 of those schools have very similar set of behaviors have very similar sort of uh, policies um, and also a similar set of kind of view on behavior right that is going to look very different to individual teacher needs 
Um, and I think that's an important distinction to make because if you're saying we want really high outcomes and to be really high performing, that might look really different to someone who's saying, well, I want to go and find a school that has just restorative practice and, 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 and will look different. But again, if that's what that teacher needs and that what that teacher wants in their professional development and career, that's for them to pursue. So it's not for me to sit here, one is right or wrong. And I think it's it's really important to, to kind of make that distinction. You know, I've come on this podcast and I've, you know, made it really publicly clear or, or made it kind of uh, really clear in the sense of, for me, educational disadvantage and addressing that attainment gap is really important to me. So there's going to be a set of behaviours that are really granular and some would say quite prescriptive in terms of what that looks like. That is going to look very different if I was teaching in a private school, which I'm not. So that that context there is, is super important with that. Absolutely, context is one hundred percent key, isn't it? So before we move on into the the final round of the CPD library, is there anything else you were hoping to kind of cover in this conversation that we've we've not managed to at this point? I, th- I think we've been quite detailed. What would you say, Rebecca? Perfect. No, I agree. I just I never want to move on and then someone be itching and going, oh no, but I wanted to talk about this. No, I think I've been thorough. <laughs> Perfect. In that case, um, if anybody's interested in carrying on this conversation with you, where can they find you to connect with you? I'm assuming it's that platform that we don't like to call the right name, uh, <laughs> but where can they find you? Yeah, on Twitter. So it's is just my name. So it's at Miriam Hussain uh, underscore. Um, I would say I tweet regularly. I, I, I'm not the type of person to tweet all the time, but I would say I'm quite regular on there. So absolutely, like uh, direct messages are welcome or or just being tweeted out. And I also would be quite keen to hear what people think. Like this is the first time for me being on a podcast on such a public realm as well. Um, So it'd be really interesting to hear what people think of my thoughts as well on education. That's great. So I will hopefully remember to put the link to your Twitter um, in the notes for this episode as well so that people can easily find you. And there's no spelling issues because I've done it for them. Um, (laughs) So because that's the usual one for for me personally, if I ever say Waker, people write Walker and then you'll never find me because you've added an L into my name. So I totally, uh, I get that one. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. The final section then is our CPD library round. So feel free to give reasons for your choices or just make it as quick fire as you like. I don't really mind. Uh, and it could be that it's a person, a book, a podcast, a blog, an uh, organization, something to you that fits this category. Is that all right? Yeah, of course it is. Great. So the first one then is first got you into evidence informed practice. So I feel like I've talked a lot about research and, and things That's that I've fine. Been into, um, <laughs> this uh, podcast, but I would say there were two, um, obviously Teach Like a Champion uh, by Jog Lamov, uh, and I'm that old that I had the 2.0 version, <laughs> um, and also like the first, and that was, um, so I bought two books at the same time, um, and it happened to be at a Teach First, um, they did, used to do impact conferences, or it was something like that during the time that I was interning with them and I bought I bought Teach Like a Champion uh, by Doug Lamob and then I also bought 11 Lessons by, of, of Leadership so I bought them together. Great uh, the next one is resonated with you the most? 
Um, so Ben Newmark did, um, he presented a keynote speech at Research Ed Berkshire in April 2023, um, and it was on Send. He also did a blog post on this, and he did it word for word verbatim of that of that transcript. Um, and his views on Send were so, so powerful, um, and it still stuck with me since then. It was one of the best speeches I'd ever seen, um, so heartfelt because not only was it research informed, but it also spoke, spoke about, um, you know, his own daughter as well. It was really powerful. That was great. Um, challenge your views. I saw a presentation. Again, this was the research ed one. Um, this was at the national conference in 2022 and it was on assessment, um, by, uh, professor Becky Allen, professor, I want to say Becky Allen, and Matthew Evans, and it was talking about assessment and different types of assessment, but also going into the granular detail of what is assessment. Um, and it was really fascinating to really think about that because quite, uh, and it's kind of, I've mentioned this in this podcast about we have these definitions of terms, and it really makes you question what you what you think terms mean, and and then you kind of get into the ethereal nature of those words. <laughs> Maybe it's an <laughs> English teacher. Yeah. Um, Where am I? The next one had the biggest impact on your practice. Um, So Clive Wright did a session on servant leadership. Um, And not only was he super charismatic in his delivery, um, but he really spoke about what servant leadership is, um, the literature that goes alongside that, but also what that actually looks like in schools. Um, you know, not this kind of um, animal farm boxer like must work harder mentality, but actually what is servant leadership? What does it look like in schools and why is it important? Great. Um, should be required either ECT or ITT required reading. I think a lot of uh, I wouldn't say one particular thing, because obviously you've got um a lot of the work with certain trust, particularly with regards to what it talks about um, in terms of attainment, when it talks about disadvantage, I would also say evidence-based education, like they have a plethora of resources there, um, not only in terms of um, the report that I spoke about, but they've done a number of others that have been so powerful. Um, and I would also talk about um, the content with regards to um, EEF in terms of literacy, in terms of um, reading as well. Um, so I've given quite a few there, but I think facets of all of them would be quite mm-hmm. powerful. Um, inspired you is the next one. I know I mentioned it in this podcast, but I think, you know, how, how to not talk about well-being by mm-hmm. Kat Howard. Yeah. I haven't butchered what that title is. It's right behind me. Hang on. Is it Stop Talking About Wellbeing? Yes. Wait. It's right here. It's something like that, isn't it? <laughs> Stop talking about well-being um, because I've never thought about well-being in the way that she had written about it. And she's so candid about it, um, not only talking about her personal experiences, but also how to have those conversations in schools. Like how if you're a classroom teacher and your head of department has given you work that is unmanageable, how do you have that conversation? If you're a, a senior leader, what are you doing about well-being within your school? And it's not just pizza parties. It's it's like what actually is, what actually is a senior leader doing to support your well-being. Great. There's just three left. And the next one is your most recent read. 
So it's not my most recent because I've not got it yet, but I'm very excited <laughs> about reading it, um, which is Ready to Teach, which is the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So I think when this podcast goes out, um, I would have read it, but I'm getting mm-hmm. it tomorrow and I'm super excited about it because they're, you know, because I've got, I've read and you can see behind me, I recognise that not everyone will be will be able to see my bookshelf behind me but <laughs> but um, I can <laughs> <laughs> but Christmas Carol and Macbeth were so detailed so powerful um so I'm really looking forward to reading Jekyll and Hyde as well great well that kind of covers up my next one which is also your next read so I'd say simultaneously that's your most recent and your next isn't it <laughs> I guess depending on when you're listening to this so uh, the last one this category gets taken differently by different people and it doesn't exist but should so some people take it as oh I wish when I first started teaching there was a book that covered this thing or there's you know I'm really interested in this area but I can't find a book on it or this particular area I think would be useful for lots of people to hear about and there's lots of bits and pieces on it but it's not all together in one place so you can kind of take it how you want but doesn't exist but should I think and again this could be a whole podcast in itself um but within education and certainly what I've experienced particularly when you're a young woman within leadership the support and the kind of I talked earlier in this podcast about stock phrases that you use I get you know again this is just personal here um just a lot of questions about uh, quite a lot of personal questions that you have to kind of talk about um and obviously because of the age I am now and because of the many years of experience I've gathered I'm very good at having my stock phrases if something's inappropriate or misogynistic or anything of that nature however when I was 21 and just come into that world of education and having to deal with those type of conversations um some sort of support and guidance of how to deal with that and kind of literature so there is obviously research in terms of the gender imbalance within education, the pay gap, um, you know, that we hear quite a lot. Like, for example, 75% of the working force is female. However, that when that translates into leadership, you know, it's male dominated. And then, you know, you can get into the real kind of uh, granular in terms of ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. But I think just that support, if you're, you know, a young leader and you happen to be female, because that's the gender that I identify as, and what's the support out there for you? And what does that actually look like in those different kind of scenarios um, without making you feel uncomfortable? Um, so I think, I think that, that, that would have been super helpful for me at, at 21 and kind of dealing with that as well. Um, and I also think I only got Twitter, um, I think far too late in my career. I wish I got it at the very beginning um, when I first interned for Teach First because I, I think I would have taken away far more and I would have you know, approached someone with any kind of issues I had much earlier or got like really good high quality coaching or mentoring much earlier in my career, which like would have been amazing. So I said a few things in there, but I think the key one would be you know, that support and guidance um, you know, for young women in leadership. And I'm sure young men get it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about personal experience there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a different one that I've not heard before as well. So I think that's a, a nice addition to this round. So thank you so much for joining me this on this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we've been talking for 
just shy of 55 minutes now, which has flown by, uh, which has been great. Uh, so hopefully it'll be a really interesting episode for people to listen to. There's plenty of bits and pieces for them to, to follow up on and to get in touch with you if they're, they're interested in continuing that conversation. So yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. No problem. Bye. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>